I think I'm having an art attack. What's up, everybody, and welcome to Art Attack, another episode of Art Attack. And this time I flipped it. I said, welcome to Art Attack, another episode, as opposed to another episode of Art Attack. You're going to confuse our listeners. Good. Uh, They need to be confused because (laughs) nobody likes uh, unpredictability, right? Ron English said that, and that's true. People are creatures of habit and creatures of comfort, and when you're unpredictable... It keeps you. It keeps other people on their toes, and so I also feel like people react negatively to that because they don't like it. You know, you look at Andy Kaufman. You look at just people who are just really unpredictable, and unpredictable could be obviously horrible and good. We're really off topic right now, but why not? This is a show about philosophy and life because <laughs> and art, that's feminism. what art is. Yeah, but I think that we take <laughs> Of course these... you had to throw that in. And of feminism, course of course. I'm very predictable on that and, regard. And masculinity. And masculinity. It is. It's everything. Art, because art is everything. Art is life. Art is that, that which nothing greater can be conceived. St. Thomas Aquinas. Is that no, really? No, that was God. Is that <laughs> Sir that which, Justin Bua? That was God. That is the or God is that that which nothing greater could be conceived. But today we have a really broad topic, but it's an important topic, especially for people who are trying to be artists, people who are artists, and people who are interested in this because this can be applied to anything. And it's basically I get. DM'd or texted or asked when I'm at signings across the board by people. And the same question comes up, which is what advice can you give about getting their work noticed? It's basically like, how do you get out there? How do you get recognized? And ultimately, how can you survive as an artist in this world, in this climate? It's difficult. And it's a fantastic topic because we talk about art once it's gotten to that level. And so I think that just going backwards a little bit to understanding the roadblocks and understanding the scaffolding and how do you build a foundation on which you are going to excel and attract a lot of attention. So yeah, that's great. How did you do what you do? Well, I think another good point that Ron English brought up, which is what I will echo, is that Ron said, you have a hundred people going to dental, dental school. And of those 100 people, I don't know what the percentage is, but you can guess it's probably like 80 or 90% of them become dentists or dental assistants or work in hygiene or something in that area of expertise. But 100 people that go to art school, how many of those people are going to become working professional artists? I know for a fact that ratio is super low. Now, Ron says it's like, you know, one, he's like the only person in his class that went on to be a professional artist. In my class, I'm thinking about, I went to Art Center College of Design in Pasadena. So when I graduated, I look at all the people that graduated with me out of the, let's let's say that take the hundred of the people that I knew and what they're doing now, out of those hundred people, I would say about five of them are still in the space. And that includes working at like a frame shop. Hmm. And That's- my friend, my best friend, Ruben Hickman, who's a incredible uh, viz dev artist. Uh, He worked at DreamWorks and Disney and Sony and Paramount and you name it. He's a huge production designer. He's running teams. He did SpongeBob. SpongeBob, And he he actually, in his class, I would say of 100 people, 
only like you know maybe six seven same same ratio so it's a very small percentage of people that make it so why do some people make it and why do some people not make it right and though some of those people chose to go into a different kind of space and i'm sure some of don't you think no you think that everybody tried and that just a couple of people were successful. I think it's very difficult, and I don't think it's contingent upon being great or not. I will take a good example of a really, really solid painter and a very good teacher, Tony Pro, my good friend Tony Pro, who's friends with Jeremy Lipking. And I'll take a page out of Jeremy's own words from his own book that he didn't write that I'm writing right now as I talk to you. Jeremy Lipking says, Jeremy Lipking, you know him, he's, a, he's an incredible painter. He's very realistic. Uh beautiful women, beautiful colors, beautiful landscapes. He's very realistic in the spirit of Zorn and Sargent and Soroya. And he was an early adapter of that realistic movement, the neorealistic movement, and was able to be young, incredibly talented, and get in all the art in Americas. And next thing you know, his career just blew up. And he's been able to ride that. Tony Pro, very, very competent, very great, you know, quite a good draftsman, uh, quite a good painter, and never was really able to succeed in that space. So he's always going back to art director in the computer, uh, branding, you know, marketing, advertising world. He's really in the advertising world now. Now, he's not able to do what he loves to do. So that's another thing is like, yeah, you can be in the art space, but you're not really doing what you love to do. Right, not in the arm that you trained yourself in or hope that you would eventually fall in. And I think that it is a fantastic question, especially since there have been so many changes within the answer that we can generate. Because I think historically, the way that you were recognized was when the salon recognized you or when these big tastemakers, these gallerists or these people whose opinion mattered most when they saw you, sought you out and then claims that your work had value. And it was almost easier in those days because there were fewer of them. And so the channels were a little bit more direct. And I think that that has changed so much with the explosion of interest in art because now everybody considers themselves a gallerist, a tastemaker. Sure. And so there's just so much that it's hard to silence the din. It's very... Okay, it's, it, it's, it's so complex because there's, you're right, and a lot of people have, have to work. You know what I mean? It's like you look at the b-boying, the breakdancing, the popping, the locking community in America. Those kids, you know, one out of a million is going to make it to where they can do that. Obviously, there's an expiration date on their physical body, so they have to get a job. But most people supplement that kind of work with, with a job because they're not lucky. Now, you look at the Korean space, and the Korean government puts 1% of their uh, you know, gross national uh, budget into the arts so that the breakdance crews and those kind of crews are taken care of. They're actually paid for. So in our government, we don't do that, so we have to work. Now, you get people that are very lucky, the trustafarians, the kids that are wealthy, and you see that historically, well, like with Cezanne. Cezanne had a generous father, right? And other artists have generous parents, and people come from well-to-do affluent backgrounds. They're able to just be an artist and fuck around. But the average person is not able to just be an artist. The, a the average person has to supplement their income in other ways. 
Now, do you think that that takes away from the art itself or it just takes away from the sheer number of hours that you can devote to that art? Uh, I think it just takes away from the sheer number of hours. I don't think that just because you're wealthy, you can't be a great painter. I mean, there's... No, 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 of course. But I do think that you're dividing your energies in a way that can be sapping. Well, look at Rousseau. Rousseau was a mailman. And daytime, delivering mail. Nighttime, painting. So people that are driven will find a way. Uh, You know, Van Gogh was taken care of by Theo, his brother. There's a lot of people, you know, who were lucky in, in that way. You know, we're lucky that Theo was around. Otherwise, Van Gogh wouldn't have been able to create whatsoever because no one had been, no one would have taken care of him. And I think that uh, people that are uh, taken care of, it, it doesn't take away from their work. And people that are driven, it, they'll find time. They'll find time. Absolutely. So then those people who don't have the financial luxury of that kind of comfort, what suggestions would you have for them? How, how do they get their stuff seen? Okay, so back to the original question. How does one make it in the world? So luckily now, we live in, we live in the Instagram era where we have a visual platform for everybody to see your work. When I came out of school, when I came out of school, 1935, <laughs> when I came out of school in the 90s, uh, you know, I was shuffling around New York City with an actual physical leather portfolio. And I was knocking on the door. Who is it? It's Bua. What's up? What's up? Yeah, yeah. You had to do the game face. And you had your portfolio of your physical work. I literally took my originals to the New Yorker. To, you physically showed up. I physically showed up because back in the days, you set appointments. I was like, you know, I was just like setting up appointments. Yo, what's up? This boo. You want to see? Are you okay? Okay, come in on Tuesday. Whatever. We'll see you. Warner Brothers, BMG. You know, like I said, the New Yorker, uh, Maxim Magazine. All them. Everybody. I was going everywhere. I was trying to get anything that I could, and. I would knock on the door and they would sit there and they would open your portfolio up. Oftentimes you just dropped it off and you would go into a room and you would drop it off. You'd be like, shit, there's like 80 other portfolios you just dropped your portfolio (laughs) on, right? And they would call you back or not. And then you had your card. You had your little, not your business card. Like a little calling card. Yeah, like a little like four by five. I think I even had like an eight by 10. And then you had to do like advertisements. So I did like people were doing advertisements in the art black books and I did the alternative pick, which was a big advertising platform and then you had to get into like I was doing the whole society of illustrators so I was trying to get out there in the world by any means necessary I didn't have the money to really advertise so I was doing a lot of physical showing up and a lot of just hustling really hustling it kind of harkened to the days where I was just you know in New York City as a as a kid hustling just to survive and so I feel not my body Although, <laughs> Manny's looking at me thirsty. Don't be thirsty. You, you thirsty? Why are you don't thirsty? Oh, I was so excited for that story. No, um, but I but I did hustle. You know, whatever it was, selling selling little weed, doing whatever, whatever. You know, just kind of getting by. But I think the same hustle applied to me. And so for me, I feel like part of my success is the persistence. You know, persistence and determination are omnipotent and. You, you can't stop. You won't stop. The hustle is 24-7. You know, I'm a hustler, baby. That's what you have to do to survive. You have to just really hustle or you have to have a team of people who are willing to hustle for you. I've never 
been I've been the person, the point person on my team all the time. I've had teams of people around me, assistants, lawyers, uh, business associates, you know, people that work for me. But at the end of the day, it comes down to the hustle. So one way is to just hustle and to know like that you got to get out there. So Instagram is an incredible platform, Facebook, Twitter, whatever you're doing, share it. Whatever you're doing, share it. You know, that's why street art is so powerful because you can get out there and you're doing an advertisement. Right. And so people are going to share for you. And so you're not even hiring them, but they're the ones who are doing that legwork. And I think that that is a powerful tool. I would also say, and part of me is conflicted because I don't love this concept, but I think that it's true, is that to really articulate what your brand is, what you stand for, and then to make decisions from that place, to have everything be streamlined and to make sense. I think that's really important because we value understanding what an artist is all about and seeing who that artist is. And like you were saying at the beginning of the episode, we don't like when we're confused, when we don't know what to expect, when Mm -hmm. things are spontaneous. And so I do think that that applies to art and how you can promote yourself is that if you are easily pigeonholed, or another way of saying that, if you have that elevator pitch, this is what I do, this is what I'm about, this is the work that I make that comes from that place. I think that you'll be easier to digest for collectors. Yeah, and I think we're talking about different different fields or different things. Like the days of me knocking on a door at the New Yorker and dropping my portfolio off and meeting with an art director are few and far between. We live in a global internet world, so everybody has to have a page where someone could go view their work. You know, we have access to every art director in the world now. So the the question is, what is different about what you do than anybody else? I remember back in the days, I had a friend who built his own box, his own portfolio box that he handcrafted out of wood that he carved. And he would send his portfolio around in that. And it was really beautiful. And then inside was a gift. You know, so he had a really great technique. Now, today, you have to have an online presence. You have to be out there. You can't create in a bubble. I mean, you can't create in a bubble. That's what all artists say. All the billionaire, millionaire artists, that's what they say. I create in a bubble. I don't really care what's going on. How luxurious for them. But the reality (laughs) is that, you know, they've got a gallery that's pushing their stuff. But if you are pushing your stuff, you also have to be really mindful of what am I trying to do? Because if you're doing stuff that's very editorial, very black and white and very political, then you belong in that that space. And you've got to think about what your market is. If you don't know what your market is, how am I going to give you advice? People hit me up. Yo, give me advice. Where do I show my work? I don't know. Where do you think that you, you know, what do you want to, first of all, what do you want to do? Do you want to do political work? Do you want to do socially relevant work? If that's your thing, then you're probably more editorial, newspapers, magazines, that kind of stuff. See, I would go backwards even more and say, what is your identity as an artist? And then I would once- go backwards even more and say, don't be born if you're asking that question. Just go back in the womb. No, I'm kidding. Go ahead. What were we saying? <laughs> Because I do think that if you are, if you have a certain identity, whatever that may be, that you can work in editorial, you can work in canvas, you can work on the street, you can work in print, that you can skate between genres and fields, and it still will make sense so long as you preserve the authenticity of your identity. So I think that is what you have to really spend time focusing on. And then from that place, you can make other decisions and they'll all make sense because they'll be on brand. And then you have to think about if you start working in a field, you have to very be very pliable. Like I'll, some people work in the field and they can they can morph into different styles. 
Like people hire me because of my style. They're like, oh, I want it to be Bua esque, Bua like, Bua, Bua, Bua licious. You know what I mean? Bua delic, <laughs> Bua fied. We want a Bua like, you know. So I, but I think other people are much more uh, sophisticated and in, in, in terms of they can do multiple styles. You know what I mean? Me, I'm I'm Bua. I did. That's what I do. You, if you hire me. You're going to get a painting, and it's going to be in my style. So don't freak out when the hand is huge. You're like, hey, I, I, and I've had that happen. No, you haven't. Oh, yes, I have. The hand isn't huge. It's boolicious. Yeah, exactly. It's booified. But, but people have to know that, like, are they stylistically going out there in the world to represent a style? Or are they like, hey, I'm a guy that could do this, that, and the other thing? Because one thing I will know, having a lot of friends that have been and are art directors and production designers People are looking for those kind of people to fit their kind of job. So if you come and you got a portfolio that's all across the board, like I did when I was coming out of school, it was a little like black and white. I had the little color. I had some distortion. I had a lot of realistic paintings and portraits. I was all over the place. People are like, that's good, but it feels very student, right? Because you that's what you do in school. You're studying all these styles. And so until you're able to figure out who you are, stylistically, what you're about, that's different. Yes, but what I'm hearing is maybe some fear of evolving too, that once you come up, not for you, but if you articulate your style and that's wonderful and then advertisers or collectors are able to understand what that looks like, but don't let that get in the way of your own personal growth and evolution. Because I think that so long as that core of what you're about, who you are is intact and that can change too, but essentially it's going to remain the same. And as long as you have that foundation, then you can grow and you can flourish in different ways. And I think a really prime example of that is Gerhard Richter because Richter's style has evolved from photography to complete drags of pigment on the canvas. He plays with scale. He plays with color. He plays with the representational images, the the legibility of whatever it is that he is rendering. And you can still see a Richter and know that it's a Richter. And so I think that there are definitely ways of being able to push yourself and change according to you evolving as a person while still maintaining something that is your own. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think also, like, don't think that you've arrived, too. You know, don't be like, well, I'm going to do the style. And people get caught in doing a style and getting hired for that and then being like, shit, I don't want to do that anymore, or that's not really me, or I'm so used to the money, but that's not what I want to say anymore. So it's it's a very tricky situation. And at the end of the day, there's really, you know, the avenues have become smaller and larger. For example, there's not as much advertising work and editorial work in the painting space, but there's a whole new industry of video games. You know, like think about all the video games and all the artists that are going in studio with these monster budgets or animation is doing quite well, you know, and there's a lot of studio work that you can do for that uh, as well. But you got to really know what you want to do and you have to, you have to really ultimately love what you do. Otherwise, you're going to be you're going to be in a lot of trouble. And you're it's going to be just as bad as that day job that you say you hate at the sure. coffee shop. Then all of a sudden you're creating like 
people really like me for my squares and you know I'm doing squares every day and I'm going to throw up from squares coming out of my ass and my eyes. It's and I many. doubt that Joseph Albers, who is a modern artist who's known for his squares, I doubt <laughs> he felt that way because I bet that his intentionality was generated from his own core of artistic interest. And that to me is really sad when artists turn themselves into artists for hire because something that they do has hit. And I think that happens a lot in street art because so many things are immediately recognizable. Oh, that's a so-and-so. I totally get that style. That's a blah, blah, blah. And I think that that is stifling. So funny how you won't say any names because if you say any names, (laughs) you're going to... No, I'll who, say names. Tell me. I want to know who you think is is kind of stifled in their own style. Well, I'm not saying that these people are stifled, but I'm saying that that would make sense. My friend Colette Miller, who is known for the angel wings. Everybody knows those angel wings. Right. And she is an artist with lots of nuance, and she's a painter, and she does murals, and she does canvases. And so for her to transition from the angel wings to something else, she fully has the capacity to do that. But I think it's going to be hard. And whenever you pivot yourself, you're going to attract new people and you're going to alienate new people. And she's going to be fine because she makes her decisions from that place of authenticity. But for other people, when they just want to be seen, to Mm -hmm. be known, to be recognized, it's going to be hard. And I do know people who use Instagram and you talk about it as a tool. Mm. And I totally agree that it is. It also becomes a way to authenticate work. It's almost the new, uh, what are they? The provenance. And that's how Banksy authenticates a lot of his stuff because he doesn't sign things and he posts it on his social media. So you know that it's really his. But Mm. anyway, a lot of contemporary street artists, they will judge where they should go, the direction of their career, Mm. based on how it lands on Instagram. How people are reacting to it, you mean? Yeah, and that is totally missing the point to me. Mm -hmm. Because then you're becoming a painter for hire. You're pandering to what people want. Exactly. Yeah, so like with me, you know, I've been uh, responsible for my own pigeon-held self. I don't know, can you say pigeon-held? Let's do it. Okay. We just said so, boo-alicious, so yeah, we're just exactly, making up right? words like so, Shakespeare. So I feel like, you know, for my, my experience growing up in New York City during the birth of hip-hop and really chronicling visually and documenting in a journalistic visual way the narrative of the culture through my artwork has pigeon-held me to a certain extent because, you know, I paint a lot of Latinos and black people and people of color. And so then I did my Legends of Hip Hop book. And so people are like, oh, cool. Boo is like the court painter of the hip hop world. And people are like, oh, yeah, the hip hop painter, Boo. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not what I do. Like, I paint white people too. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it hasn't been until the last like five years where I've been able to paint like Simon and Garfunkel for, for Evan Spiegel, the, the CEO of Snapchat, and Tom Petty for my man Goon. And, uh, you know, uh, Phil Mickelson for Callaway. And now my work, you know, it's like I could, I could paint anybody. I could paint women. I could paint white people. I can paint all kinds of people. And so, but people do like, oh yeah, Bua, you know, the guy that did the DJ and the hip hop people, you know, he painted like Jay-Z and, and, you know, Big Daddy Kane and Rakim and that whole culture. Yes, of course. But, you know, my thing is, and this is really important for me, and I notice it's not important for a lot of artists, but very important for me, is to always be a student. And I'll tell everybody that. Don't get caught. Don't get stifled. 
be a student, learn, grow. And just when you think you've arrived, you've never arrived ever. You know, Michelangelo's 81. He's saying, I'm just beginning to learn how to draw. That's a good point because anytime I feel stifled, I draw from life. I paint from life. I draw a flower. Uh, I do an exercise, a blind contour exercise. I feel like I have to open up my imagination and my, my actual skills. Because your skill set is what you're drawing from, right? Especially for what I do. I, use, I draw a lot from my imagination. So I want to have a library of information that I could actually access. Otherwise, you become a comic booky kind of artist where you draw the same figure over and over and over and over again. You're really good at those stock poses, but you're not able to kind of like, you know, grab from uh, a bigger, bigger, broader library. You need to return to the source. Yeah, you got like, there's a guy named Craig Mullins who's like stupid good. He's like insane good. He's probably the best. I, I'd say he's definitely the father of, you know, viz dev art in the computer, like digital painting. I mean, this guy is doing high level Jerome, Jacques-Louis David level painting on the computer. But he always paints from life. He always draws from life. And he said at this point of his career, I was watching a, a, a video of his, I thought it was really interesting because he said at this point of his career, he doesn't really use as much reference as he used to. He used to do a lot of photo bashing, you know, like painting over photos, using photo reference. But now he's just doing a lot of just out of his head stuff because he's done so much drawing and painting from life that he has a library, an informational arsenal, a cannon of weapons that he could pull out at any given time to create these paintings. And, and his paintings are so beautiful. If you don't know him, Craig Mullins, I mean, really like scary good. I think he just lives in Hawaii, like, and sits and paints all day and hangs out with his family and just sits under a waterfall, like on break. Oh, man. But he's so good. It's like, it's, it's one, he's rare. Like even my Viz Dev friend guys who were just incredible. Can you just say what Viz Dev means? Visual development. Thank you. Okay. So like the visual development friends that I have in the industry, whether it's at like Pixar or DreamWorks or Sony or whatever, they're just like, I mean, everybody like loves Craig Mullen. Like he's like the godfather of, of great digital painting. But, you know, he's always painting. He's always getting better. He's always learning. And you look at the guys who are the best guys and they're just practicing all the time. You know what I mean? You got to practice all the time. You can't be the greatest basketball player and not practice all the time. You can't be the greatest MMA fighter and not be training all the time. Right. You can't be the greatest soccer player, Ronaldo, and not be practicing, practicing, practicing. And sometimes you got to practice the dumb shit, right? Over and over and over again until guess what? You got to do it again in a week. You got to do it again in a week. Your body atrophies. If you don't go to the gym, you atrophy. You know what I'm saying? If you don't, if you don't work on your brain, you atrophy. If you don't work on your painting and drawing skills, you atrophy. You don't ride a bike? Yeah, you can get back on a bike, but you're not going to be as good. I went back on a bike the other day. It wasn't as good. <laughs> it didn't go well for you. It was, it was okay, but I'm not like quite the nimble, agile rider that I used to be. And they say, oh, it's just like getting on a bike. You're both on a motherfucking bike. It's different, though. <laughs> it's not that easy, you know? Because like, yeah, there's a, there's a meaning to that. You could pick up a pencil and after not drawing for a while, but you'll be dull. And I think that that's a great way to end this conversation is just I never to, want to end this conversation. <laughs> never ever. But we can have other conversations that you would suggest that people who are trying to promote themselves, mm -hmm. trying to create some kind of foundation, that they never lose sight of practice yep. and of that curiosity of trying to be better. Yes. That drive. And don't be scarce. 
Be abundant. Don't be scarce. Hook up your friends. You know, connect people. Don't think that you, because you're doing it, no one else is doing oh, that's it. That's such a good point. Don't be proprietary. Everybody Don't. can build each other up. Yep. And we can do it together. This, and if The if, scarcity mentality is very hurtful. It is in any discipline. And I think that when artists have that mentality of if one person is making it, it means that I'm less likely to, yep. then you're going to isolate yourself and you're not going to find the joy that's in right. how you create. And then I think your audience is going to respond. And then my... Final suggestion would just be to remember who you are and why you're doing this Mm -hmm. and what you're trying to say, and then to make decisions from that place of integrity. I mean, this is what we're doing. Lizzie and I are not getting paid to do this podcast. We have a we have a very uh, well listened to at this point podcast. Uh, We're one of the top ranked podcasts in the art space by far, and you know we're doing this because we love to do it. There's nobody you know, giving us money to do this, we do it because we want to share this information. So we will ask you also, this is so PBS, and we will ask you to make a donation. Um, dial one You can Venmo no. me. Yeah, no, 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 don't. Just all you have to do is leave a comment. Go to iTunes, go to Spotify, go to Podbean, wherever we are, leave a comment. Tell us how much you like the show. Give us five stars. If you give us one star, just don't do anything at all. You know what I mean? Don't listen, turn your radio off. Or, uh, but seriously, we're sharing this information out there for you guys. So I have a lot of experience with what I do. Lizzie has a tremendous amount of experience from what she does. She's absolutely brilliant. And the fact that, you know, she comes here and shares uh, her time is amazing. I mean, she's, she's a sought-after professor lecturing all over the world, an art advisor, speaking at Christie's, and here she is speaking to you guys. This is amazing. What a gift because we love to share and please share your thoughts and give us a, a critique or some beautiful five-star comments. And, and we love you and we got to go. Peace. <laughs>